Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Are you caring for an aging parent? Are you searching for answers? Welcome to Senior Care Live, a program dedicated to you, providing information, education, and resources, helping you become the best caregiver you can be. I'm your host, Steve Keeker. Hello and welcome to Senior Care Live. Thanks for tuning in today. I really appreciate it. This program is all about educating seniors and their caregivers, helping them make informed decisions. And this is a great place to listen and learn. And so many people consider Senior Care Live appointment radio. Thousands of people literally listen to this broadcast each and every week, and I am so thankful for that. Thank you very much. And if you're new to the program, I hope you will too. If you have a question, as always, you can visit online at Senior Care Live, L I V E, SeniorCareLive.com, or call the phone number 1 800 331 6445. All right, so we have a, a really great program for you here today. It is all about elder law today with my friend and special guest, Amber Thaling. She's an attorney with KC Elder Law. And Amber, welcome to Senior Care Live. Thank you. All right, so for our listeners, you will absolutely want to write this phone number down. We are going to review so much stuff. You're going to say, now, wait a minute. I need to know more about that. Or I need to call Amber. I have a question. Or we need to have something reviewed, et cetera, et cetera. Here's the phone number, 913-338-5713. So KC Elder Law, 913-338-5713. You could also go online at kcelderlaw.com. KC Elder Law has offices in Overland Park, Lee Summit, and Kearney, Missouri. How about that? And and before we get started, I just want to let you know a little bit about Amber. I've known Amber for, I don't know, Amber. Too long. Yeah. (laughs) 15, 18 years. um, Not like that. Well, as long as I've been operating senior care consulting, and that is coming up on 19 years actually which is so i've known you that entire time and so so amber is an attorney but a lot of people may not know she also has a master's in social work so let me tell you something that is an amazing combination of education and experience and 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 knowledge and so amber is very uniquely 
positioned and qualified to provide some incredible advice and and guidance through some of these you know very sometimes very difficult situations as we're caring for our elderly loved ones. So so Amber again I I'm totally sincere. I just I really appreciate you taking time out of your day to be with us here on the program. Well, thank you, Steve, for having me. All right. And so, first of all, before we jump into uh, kind of the the meat and the potatoes, if you will, I have so many questions for you, Amber. (laughs) Uh, First of all, how are you and the team at KC Elder Law doing as we're coming out of this COVID-19 pandemic? How how are you all doing? We're doing really well. Um, We are seeing clients live Um, If they are more comfortable, we are also doing Zoom. I've also done just conference calls. So it depends on the client's comfort level, uh, if they'd rather come into the office or still be via Zoom. Um, We do work all over, I mean, the entire state of Kansas and Missouri we can work with. Um, So, I mean, Zoom has been a great addition to that. just makes it a little bit easier. People aren't having to travel as far. Okay. And, and so, you, um, so Casey Elder Law, just like Senior Care Consulting, for about, what, 13, 14 months, it was all virtual. It was all Zoom yes. or, or a... <laughs> Much or a, to our chagrin. Uh, yes. Right. <laughs> and, or, or on a phone call. And I'm an in-person... I want to look you in the eye. I want to shake your hand. I want to be there. It's just my, my service and definitely your service as well. It's a very personal... We're dealing with personal matters here and very, very important matters. I, I just so much better in person. So I'm so glad that you're able to meet with families uh, if they're comfortable with that uh, in an in-person basis. But if they're not or if they're out of the area, you can still meet with them virtually as well. Correct. Okay. Yeah, it's been super to have clients come in the office. It's nice to see faces. Yep. Um, you know, and the smiles in person and... It's just been really wonderful. No doubt. No doubt. Okay. So let's jump in. Um, we're just going to start off on 101. And uh, the the big question here, what is the difference between estate planning and elder law? And the reason I ask that is a lot of people in the market, they will interchange these two these two terms or phrases, and and they should not be interchangeable. Uh, or, well, I guess you could try it, but you shouldn't do it because because they're, they're two very different things. So, what what is the difference between estate planning and elder law? Well, elder law also encompasses estate planning. Estate planning, you go to just a straight up estate planning attorney. They're looking to tell you basically how to avoid probate when you die. Elder law looks at the whole transition from hey we're healthy, you know, we have clients in their 30s and 40s, even 20s, you know, planning for that end of life, their kids, and then what happens along the way until you do pass. You know, people age, health declines, so that brings up a whole different set of issues. We see things through a different set of lenses than your typical estate planning attorney. All right. And so uh, so estate planning and then elder law. And so I know a lot of times with with elder law, uh, you're planning on obviously what to do if you're living and, and what happens when you pass away. But then the, the that huge question and that that huge uh, kind of unknown area, what happens if you're living, you're aging and then you get sick along the way and all of a sudden you have expenses, you have care needs, and how does that impact your entire estate? And I know that you and the entire team at KC Elder Law, you're all experts at dealing with that. So that is, uh, that's the good news there. And you can help with the state planning as well. You can, you can right. work with both areas. Is that correct? Right. And within the elder law estate planning part, 
for our elders or aging clients that are having health issues, not all of them are old, um, then our documents look towards that time. Okay. Uh, in life when you need to transition. So I have several couples, maybe the diagnosis is fresh. You know, they just found out two months ago somebody has Parkinson's, Alzheimer's, ALS, you name it. And there is a higher risk for needing long-term care. So our documents prepare for if that if that bottom falls out and that needs to happen, that the family, the loved ones, the spouse can step in and do, you know, further planning to help protect the estate. All right, very good. And then uh, the next term, I think, that I'd like to try to unpack here a little bit. So power of attorney. So what does that mean, and, and what is power of attorney? Well, there are two types of powers of attorney. One covers finances, and one covers health care. The financial one, there are two different types. There's one that's called springing, and it only kicks in at incapacity. And then we have, you know, the durable general. It's in place the second that you sign it. It doesn't take any power away from anybody. I have one in place, as do all of us. And when our kids turn 18, they're signing theirs. That it's that way because a lot of our clients, they still have capacity, but they start wanting help. You know, calling the insurance company, you know, don't hear so well on the phone. So daughter, son, friend, can you please take care of this? So that's why we like the ones that are not springing, because frequently our clients are not incompetent, but they just need assistance. Yeah, and that one sounds a little more flexible, but you're also trusting that person with power of attorney not to abuse that. Is that correct? Exactly. And I always tell people, well, if you've appointed them and it's springing, it's only contingent on your incapacity, or it is contingent on your incapacity. If you've appointed somebody, you need to trust them. If you're leery about it, then don't list them. Well, this is a little off topic. Last week, I talked about World Elder Abuse Awareness Day, and I talked about different types of, uh, of elder abuse, and one was elder financial abuse. And uh, I received a call from a listener, and she's very upset. And the long and short of it is her friend granted her daughter power of attorney and her daughter is abusing it and she wanted to know what to do i gave her some phone numbers and how to follow up on that but the bottom line is if you grant someone power of attorney for your finances uh if it's not a springing power of attorney that is effective when you are when you've lost your your capacity or competency uh, then you're you're tr- you better trust them and i think that's a right. that should be one of the huge takeaways of this entire program is you need to trust that person so you talked about power of attorney for healthcare now how is that different Power of attorney health on health care is contingent on incapacity. Nobody can make health care decisions until a doctor has determined that you can no longer make health care decisions for yourself. So only when you've been declared incompetent or incapacitated can your person step in and make decisions on your behalf. Okay. And then um, is an advanced directive the same thing as the health care power of attorney? It is not. Um, the health care directive, some people call it a living will, it's that part of, and we have it in the same document, the first part's the power of attorney, the second part's the living will, is that person's um, time option to determine if at some point they're terminal and can no longer make their own decisions, they can say, you know what, I do not want to be kept alive artificially, and here's the things I don't want, keeping me alive artificially. Or some people say, hey, keep me alive at all costs, so the questions are asked and then it's up to them to determine which path they want to take. Okay, we're speaking today with Amber Thaling, attorney with KC Elder Law, and 
If you're like me, this is a fascinating conversation. If you have a question, you're interested in working with KC Elder Law, here's the phone number. Write it down, 913-338-5713, or you can visit online at kcelderlaw.com. And I'll have more with Amber coming up next. But first, the Senior Care Live question of the week regarding power of attorney. The person granted the power of attorney can make decisions for their loved one while living and after their loved one passes away. Is that statement true or false? The answer coming up next. You're listening to Senior Care Live on the Senior Care Broadcasting Network. For more information, call now, toll free, 1-800-331-6445. Operators are standing by, 1-800-331-6445. I'll be right back. Welcome back. You're listening to Senior Care Live on the Senior Care Broadcasting Network. For more information, go to SeniorCareLive.com. And don't forget, you can stream this program to any electronic device at SeniorCareLive.com and through the app, Odyssey.com. And that's A-U-D-A-C-Y.com. All right, back to the Senior Care Live question of the week. Regarding power of attorney... The person granted the power of attorney can make decisions for their loved one while living and after their loved one passes away. Is that statement true or false? And the answer is... False. The answer is false. And Amber, why is that statement false? Well, it is false because your power of attorney ceases at death. So the power of attorney expires when you do. That's right. Okay. So and that and that's just the easiest way. Um, all my and I'm not an attorney, but I've answered that question a whole I mean, hundreds of times. And yeah, that that's my favorite way to answer that. The power of attorney expires when the person expires. So uh, so uh, up until then, and, and then uh, and then we'll talk about what happens. You know what type of power or say do you have after that person expires or or passes away so we will get into that here in just a second but uh, amber i want to circle back on that power of attorney great information that you were able to share and i appreciate that um i but but i have a question here so and this this one's a huge one so for our listeners pay you know dial into this one pay special attention if someone has alzheimer's or dementia is it too late to authorize a power of attorney document? It is not necessarily. It depends on where they are in their progression. In our office, you know, there's some shades of gray, but it doesn't matter if they know who the president is or what day of the week. Um, those are actually are not requirements, and that's frequently misunderstood. So what we're looking for is, you know, are they oriented as to where they are, do they know their loved ones? Um, things like that. Right. Um, so, so if you say, "Well, who's this, uh, uh, you know, lovely young lady sitting sitting here to your left?" and if they say, "Well, that's my daughter," and I just don't know what I'd do without her, they're very oriented. They rec- you know, they recognize their family. Uh, a very different story if they say, "Well, I don't know who she is, but I sure do like her dress." 
Okay, well, then that's a whole different deal, right? <laughs> that would be correct. <laughs> <laughs> right. So, again, you have shades of gray, especially in law. Some things are pretty obvious. Some things are not. And so if you have a question about your own personal situation, reach out to Amber Thaling and the great team at KC Elder Law at 913-338-5713. That's 913-338-5713. You can also go online. It's an excellent website, KC elderlaw.com kcelderlaw.com all right and then there's this and now myth versus fact okay so we're gonna do amber i'm glad you're here today let's do a little myth busting here so (laughs) this is one of my favorite segments myth versus fact and uh, and frankly there are a lot of myths out there Lots of them and misunderstandings. You are correct. Oh boy! So, so I, I do. I I routinely set the record straight on this show. I think that's one of the thing. Uh, one of the things that Senior Care Live has noted. I I pull no punches. I kind of tell it like it is, even if it's uh, not so wonderful to hear. So, uh, here's a, a an understanding in the market. You have to sign your house over to the nursing home before you can qualify for Medicaid. Is that a myth or a fact? That would definitely be a myth. Um, A person's house is an exempt asset. It doesn't count against them. So they definitely do not have to sign the house over. Okay. And I've heard that, I'm sure, I know you've heard it 10 times more than I have, but I've heard that, no joke, at least 100 times over all the years. It it is stunning. So, So if you're in the market and you're thinking about choosing a particular nursing home and they say yeah uh, 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 but before you move your your loved one here they own a house you're going to have to sign that house over to us before you can qualify for medicaid um that is just not true it's just that's it's not true Uh, okay here's another one amber you can't qualify for kansas medicaid if you are a missouri resident is that a myth or a fact that is most definitely a myth as well. We have a number of clients, especially because we are on the state line, so it's more prevalent here probably than another state. Sure. But you can live, you can own property on either side of the state line. And so, for example, um, a Missouri person owns Missouri property, they can go to the Kansas side and qualify for Kansas Medicaid. And vice versa. Correct. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yep. So, so that is a that is definitely a myth. Uh, here's a, here's another one, and I, I I've heard this just I've heard it at least a hundred times. If you're from Missouri, you must be a Kansas resident for a minimum of six months before you can apply for Kansas Medicaid. Is that a myth or a fact? That's another myth. Um, you. Your residency, as far as Medicaid is concerned, is established the second you move into a Kansas facility. Okay, and uh, and I believe it's uh, you move to Kansas on Monday, regardless of whether you're from Missouri, you have property in Missouri, or any other state. On that day, moving into a Kansas nursing home, you are a resident in the state of Kansas for Medicaid purposes, if you have the intent to stay. And obviously, 
and moving into a nursing home to receive care. Uh, the intent to stay is there. And boom, you are a Kansas resident. So again, if anyone says, well, you need to sell your house and rent an apartment in Kansas and six months later. No, that's absolutely not true. It's just not true. That's correct. We've had a number of clients that have gone directly from a Missouri hospital to a Kansas facility and vice versa. So sometimes the kids live on the other side of the state line, so they're moving their loved one closer to them. But regardless of the situation, you qualify the, you're qualified um, or eligible, I should say, the second you walk in, you know, the second you move into the facility. Yep. And I even had a person at a particular nursing home uh, argue with me about that. No, no, no. You have to be. You can't do that. Well, they can't live here and get Kansas Medicaid and still have a house in Missouri. And so I had to argue and argue. Uh, And then (laughs) and then they had to run it up to their legal team. Their legal team said they agreed with her. And I'm like, that is just not the case. So uh, it took a long time to educate these folks because they were absolutely convinced that that was the case. And it just was not. Yeah, we've had that with multiple clients, and even though we try to educate the staff and explain it, they don't believe it until it's approved. Yep, okay. All right, and then one more. You must use your entire spend-down amount to pay for nursing home care, and you cannot use it for any other purpose. Is that a myth or a fact? Well, the money has to be spent on, if it's a married couple, on either one of them, um, depending on what their spend-down amount is. And same for a single person. There are some exceptions to that, which I think you want to talk about in a little bit. Yeah. Um, as far as, you know, a disabled child, things of that nature. Okay. All right. And ladies and gentlemen, that's a fact. For more information about the facts, stay tuned to this program or contact Senior Care Consulting at 913-945-2800 or visit SeniorCareConsulting.com. All right. I'll have a whole lot more with Amber coming up next. You're listening to Senior Care Live on the Senior Care Broadcasting Network. For more information, call now, toll free, 1-800-331-6445. Operators are standing by, 1-800-331-6445. I'll be right back. Welcome back. You're listening to Senior Care Live on the Senior Care Broadcasting Network. For more information, go to SeniorCareLive.com. And don't forget to check out all of our podcasts at SeniorCareLive.com. And, you know, if you subscribe to Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Player FM Podcasts, all you have to do is search out Senior Care Live, and then they'll start flowing to your inbox each and every week because we're on all of those platforms and more to come. All right. So we have just a, a wonderful program today. Our guest today, Amber Thaling. She's an attorney with KC Elder Law. And if you want to reach out to Amber and the excellent team at KC Elder Law, here's the phone number, 913-338-5713. Or you could visit online at KC Elder Law. And Amber, you have offices in Overland Park, in Lee Summit, and Kearney, Missouri. Is that correct? That's correct. So if someone lives in the Northland and Kearney is a little bit easier to get to than than Overland Park or Lee Summit, uh, you can request your meeting at that location, and that'll just be real, make it really easy for you. So it's uh, uh, great to have these options. So 
All right. So, Amber, I'd like to address the difference between a will and a trust. And again, people kind of throw these terms around sometimes interchangeably, and they're definitely different. So uh, what is a will? A will, actually, by definition, has to go through probate. A lot of people think a will avoids probate, and it doesn't. It's a good reflection of your wishes, of how you have things titled, your bank accounts, your house, because not everybody needs a trust. But a will, by definition, like I had a couple come in, the house was titled just to the two of them, and their will says it goes to my kids. Because it was titled to the two of them, when they're both gone, that house would have to go through probate to land with their children. Okay. And so what is a trust? And then who, well, we'll we'll just, uh, we'll leave it there. What is a trust? A trust is a different way to pass assets at your death. It gives you more flexibility and how you want to spread things out, who's in charge of managing it. Because how we explain it is beneficiary designations only get you so far down the food chain. Because people say, well, you know, my kids are on all my accounts, so why would I need a trust? Well, if one of your children predeceases you, where do you want your money to go? And it allows for that. I've got a family with an only child who is in her 20s, and at this point in time, no children. So... They have said it goes to our daughter. If she doesn't survive and has no heirs, then they were able to list out four or five different charitable organizations of where they would want it to land. Okay, so it's very, very specific, and then your assets flow through that trust, and two, it'll carry out your wishes, and it'll flow to a person or an entity, but it's uh, it's a replacement for a will, and it's it's much better in, in one regard because it's, it's very thorough, it checks all the boxes, and it does avoid probate, is that correct? That's correct. Another benefit of a trust is you're putting how, you know, we've had families with some family dynamics. And so they really need one person in charge of selling the house, paying the final bills, and then making the distributions. It should not be all the kids. We had another family, and what I tell people is size of your estate doesn't dictate whether or not you need a trust. Had a family that had, I don't know, a million dollars in real estate, whatever, and it was going to their five boys or the survivor of them. All the boys got along, so they didn't need a trust. Simple beneficiary designation solved their problem. But again, there were five heirs, so they had plenty of backup. Okay. (laughs) Something happened to one or two of the children before them. Okay. All right. So then the next question is then who who needs one? Then who describe a situation where a person or a family would need a trust? Well, kind of like I explained with the family that things would go to charities if there's family drama. And it really is best to have, like, let's say there's, there was, I had a client that there were three children. Two of them didn't get along so well. All three children were treated, treated equally, but one person was in charge of making sure everybody got their money. Okay. And then um, some people have complex distributions. I want 10% to go to this child. We have a special needs child. This much needs to go to them. So it gives you more flexibility on how you structure your estate. All right. And then uh, what are some of the different types of trust? Because I've heard different terms like a, you know, a such and such of a trust. And so what, what are some of the different types of trusts available? Well, the primary that we deal with would be a revocable living trust that we just discussed. And then there's also irrevocable trusts. The irrevocable 
you you're stuck with the terms basically. So somebody can set it up, but there's no changing the structure of it. Okay, and so you know, I've I've heard some horror stories about where a person or a family, you know, they had a trust and it had just zero flexibility and they were kind of just, just stuck with it. And it actually, in the long run, the big picture, actually cost the family a lot of money. So would that be an irrevocable trust? Irrevocable sounds kind of permanent or un, where it's it not is. flexible. Um, and we've seen those come our way, probably from very well-intended attorneys for the most part. Some are not. But <laughs> yeah. um, it just doesn't, I mean, a good chunk of the time, it just doesn't make sense. People think it's going to protect it from Medicaid. It does not. A revocable trust, and neither does an irrevocable trust, perfect it, protect it from Medicaid. It avoids probate, but it doesn't shelter it from Medicaid. Uh, you know what? I, that would have been a good myth versus fact, because I don't know how many times I've heard people say, yeah, well, we'll just put all, all of our assets in a trust and then qualify for Medicaid. Well, that if you have assets in a trust, th- there's, that's still an asset, and, and it has to be counted uh, accounted for. Is that correct? Correct. It depends on who, how they have the beneficiaries of the irrevocable trust set up. So there's a lot of nuances to that okay. on how it would work and the timeline of transferring those. Okay. But the more common, the more flexible one would be a revocable trust, which means that you could, it does have some flexibility. Is that correct? That's correct. And our power of attorney also includes the ability to amend a trust from, Ah. so I'm my parents' power of attorney. I have the authority to go in and amend their trust if it was appropriate. I have to be in line with their wishes, but I have a sister. And so if she became disabled, I could go in and say, hey, we need to change the distribution so her share is protected. So it doesn't affect any benefits she may be receiving. So you want some flexibility in there. Um, Also, to change trustees of a trust. Somebody may die. Somebody may have their own health issues. So it's just a good idea to, in our world, to have that kind of flexibility. Excellent, excellent. Amber Thaling, attorney with KC Elder Law. She can be reached at 913-338-5713 or online at kcelderlaw.com. Ladies and gentlemen, your attention please. This is a consumer alert. Consumer alert. All right, here we go. <laughs> Amber, I've heard this too many times, and I just, I, we just have to address it. I've heard so many times something to the effect of, well, you just want the government to pay for your nursing home care so that you don't have to, so you can kind of save your money. But, and you know what? I'm sure there are people out there that have a lot of money and they're, they're just not willing to part with it, and that's not the right thing to do. So I, I'm sure that happens. But, I would say the majority of people, at least that I've worked with and that I'm I'm aware of, uh, that's just not true at all. There are very specific reasons why you would want to qualify a person for, for Medicaid. And one example of that, and I know you see this a lot, let's say we have two spouses. One spouse lives at home. They're the community spouse living independently. And then you have one spouse that needs, uh, you know, medical level care at that nursing home, the long-term care level of care. Uh, and then that, that's a that's a perfect uh, example of when you would want to uh, do a division of assets and, and protect uh, the assets so that you can qualify the one person needing the care for Medicaid. Is that correct? 
That's correct. I mean, if people call us with large estates and want to talk Medicaid, <laughs> that's not what we do. That, that's, um, not a, that's not a client for you? Correct. I mean, somebody came in with a million dollars, wanted to get their spouse on Medicaid. That's just not how we roll. Um, and really not... Anyway, so... But there, most of the situations, obviously, they're calling us that we see is where, you know, the community spouse is at home and how much do they get to keep, how much has to be spent down, and then options for protecting that, what we refer to as the community spouse. While their loved one, their spouse is in long-term care, is getting uh, their care covered. Okay, and then uh, so so coming up, we'll we'll talk about that. Uh, but the bottom line is, if you if you know a couple, and, and even if you know they they own a house, they own a car, uh, they they have some assets. They're certainly not wealthy. It, it is a very very good idea uh, for them to reach out to Casey Elder Law and talk about some asset protection strategies. Because guess what? Here's the bottom line: whether it's the husband or the wife, whoever the community spouse is living at home alone, uh, right at this point, because their spouse just went to long-term care, they still have, they still may have a mortgage. And if not, they have insurance, property taxes, utilities, upkeep. Uh, they have all, they have all of the expenses, but only one person living at home. So you'd better believe in many cases, it's a darn good idea to protect those assets and protect the ability of the person living at home to continue living independently at home. Proceed with caution. This has been a Consumer Alert, brought to you by Senior Care Live. So coming up next, I'll continue my conversation with Amber Thaling, attorney with KC Elder Law. Don't go away. You're listening to Senior Care Live on the Senior Care Broadcasting Network. For more information, call now, toll free, 1-800-331-6445. Operators are standing by, 1-800-331-6445. I'll be right back. Welcome back. You're listening to Senior Care Live on the Senior Care Broadcasting Network. For more information, visit SeniorCareLive.com. And it's been my pleasure to visit with Amber Thaling, attorney with KC Elder Law. You can reach Amber and the awesome team at KC Elder Law at 913-338-5713. Or you could also visit online at KC Elder Law. Dot com. All right, so Amber, we talked about in the consumer alert protecting assets for a community spouse so that they can continue to live independently and and you know pay their bills, etc. And, uh, and and I think the law says uh, so that the community spouse does not become impoverished due to the high cost of medical care for the institutionalized spouse or the spouse needing uh, that long-term care community or otherwise known as a nursing home. So, you know, let's talk about asset protection strategies for Medicaid planning and start out just with the simple question, what is Medicaid? The way I explain it, because sometimes Medicare and Medicaid people interchange. So Medicare is your health insurance. You go to the doctor, you have surgery. 
you need rehab. That's Medicare. Medicaid is like long-term care insurance. So it covers what you, what your income, whatever that doesn't cover. Medicaid steps in and picks up the rest. Okay. All right. And for the purposes of this conversation, we'll talk about uh, Medicaid uh, contributing to the cost of long-term care or a person's stay at the, at that nursing home. So, uh, and, and then. Uh, another term, a division of assets. So, if, again, if you have the couple, you could go through that uh, asset protection strategy, do the division of assets to p- try to protect assets for that community spouse. Is that correct? Correct. And and uh, is it actual, is it a literal division of assets or is there more to it than that? There is more to it than that. <laughs> you, are, you are correct. I suspected that. <laughs> um, what we tell people is to think of it as a bucket of money. It's not how much you have to spend, it's how much you get to keep. Okay. So for a Missouri couple that has, you know, $120,000, the community spouse gets to keep 60000 in their name, and the institutionalized spouse can have up to 5000 Canvas, it's 2000 So it's essentially half. The question is, how do we get you from 120 down to 60 And there are some really good options there. But it's not like you have to go out and spend 55000 or whatever it is to get that person down to um, the 65. I guess would be, anyway. Yeah. Um, a little more than that. Okay. So there's options there. But yeah, it's not an actual division. All right. All right. And so, uh, that, yeah, that makes sense. I, I like the approach. It's not how much you have to spend. It's how much you get to keep. So I, I think there are probably some examples of how Casey Elder Law may be able to protect some assets for a family. Uh, and so let's uh, maybe focus on Kansas versus Missouri. So the Medicaid rules, I think, are, are pretty similar. But are there any major differences uh, in, which could be an advantage of Kansas over Missouri? Not so much for a single person, but for a married couple, yes. In Kansas, the community spouse's IRA, 401k, 403b type account is exempt. Medicaid wants you to report it. They just don't care about it. And in Missouri, it's all countable. Okay, meaning that division of assets in in Missouri, the community spouse has retirement accounts all of that is countable and would have to be divided. In Kansas, uh, if you know, that is off the table, it's an exempt asset, and whatever is left is divided. And that could be a huge difference uh, in, in moving in living in Kansas long-term care community versus a Missouri long-term care community. So I've had so many clients over the years say, they live in Missouri. They say, you know, Steve, I'm no spring chicken, but I'll I'll drive across the state line to see my my husband or or my wife if it means that I get to hold on to my three hundred thousand dollar retirement account for Sprint. I worked you know all those years for that, and I don't really want to cut that in half and have to deal with all that. So uh, yeah, and- a lot of factors play into that. How much is the IRA, and you know how much how old is the individual? Um, I had somebody come to me with a million dollar IRA. Certainly, they could have qualified their spouse for Medicaid, but I don't. We're a little more conservative that Medicaid isn't for that yeah. individual. Yeah, ab- absolutely, no doubt about it. Uh, and, and then, and you know what? If you live in Kansas, there may be some advantages to moving to Missouri. So this isn't a one-sided thing. It just depends on the individual situation, and that's why I always recommend contacting Amber and the great team at KC Elder Law, and that's nine one three. Three three eight five seven one three or online at kcelderlaw.com. dot 
All right. And so, Amber, talk about just briefly about the caretaker child exemption. Sure. Um, the caretaker child exemption states that if but for a child, can't be a grandchild, a niece, a nephew, a cousin, but a disabled or a caretaker child has provided care for that parent the two years immediately prior to placement, then that house can be transferred to that caretaker child. A couple of caveats is a doctor actually has to sign off on that that says, yes, I know that this, you know, this child provided care and, you know, they would have needed, you know, assistance sooner but for that child. Yeah. So I always advise families, if that's kind of the path you're headed down, make sure the doctor knows. We've had physicians not sign them because they're like, I didn't, nobody told me. Yeah. So inform your doctor that your son or your daughter uh, is is helping you on a, a full-time basis, and they are the sole reason that you're not living in a nursing home. You could be rewarded by transferring the house to that son or daughter. And that's huge, and I'll guarantee you most people don't know that. And then what about the disabled child exemption? Okay, so children that are on um, disability, tra- assets can be transferred to them and Medicaid doesn't care. So with a single individual that's got, you know, $50,000 and they need long-term care, they could transfer anything over the two or the 5000 depending on the state, to that disabled child. And Medicaid says, yes, you need to provide for your child, so we're cool with that. Yeah, and, and I'll guarantee you most people don't know that. Uh, Amber, uh, quickly, what is a care contract and uh, why is it important to know what that is and who should have one? A care contract allows somebody to pay a third party, whether it's a child or, you know, somebody that you found on care.com, to, to pay them and Medicaid not consider it a gift. So otherwise, payments to Susan of, you know, $500 a week, Medicaid would say, well, what was that for? So it allows them to pay for that care and it not be considered a gift. And if you're with a third party agency one of the care, um, you know, in-home care provider agencies, mm-hmm. then that's assumed, yeah. obviously, fair yeah. market value. It's not a gift. But when you're privately employing somebody, Medicaid could look at that as a gift. It's like an employment agreement, and it just verifies that you're, you're paying for a legitimate expense and not transferring assets, which could result in a gifting penalty. So, okay. And then, Amber, I know that with COVID-19, you had to stop all of your workshops. You have excellent workshops, uh, and you'll be restarting those here in the very near future. Uh, what's the best way? Should folks just go to your website and sign up for a newsletter to find out about when you're going to start those up again? That would be a great idea. Yeah, so if they go to our website, they can sign up for our newsletter, and when we have um, a seminar coming up, we do send out that in an email to let people know what's coming up and when. Um, We did have one live one at an independent living facility, and that Mm -hmm. went really well, but we don't know when assisted livings and long-term care facilities are going to be, we'll be opening that up. Okay. All right. Excellent. So just go to kcelderlaw.com, sign up for the newsletter, and then you'll be informed when all of these excellent and, by the way, free workshops will resume here, hopefully here in the near future. So, Amber, thanks so much for uh, being on the program today. I just really, really enjoyed it, and I hope you're able to come back sometime soon. That sounds great. Thank you, Steve, for having me. You bet. And I'm your host, Steve Keeker, and I wish you grace and peace. May God bless you and your family on this day and always. Join me next week right here on Senior Care Live.
T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly.